We have a holiday coming up next month. We will mention it as it arrives, but it's Memorial Day. And it's a day set aside to honor the men and women who have died while serving in the U.S. military. To date, some one and a quarter million have died to either gain our freedom or preserve our freedom. Serving and sacrificing their lives in the military. And if you come at that number without any understanding of really what it's all about, and you just look at that number, it's, it looks pretty horrible. All of these deaths because of war. War is bad. I hate war. You know, without remembering, without being taught history, which I'm, I'm sad to say, especially in a lot of the public school situation, kids aren't being taught history anymore. But if you just look up, look at that number, it looks horrible. But when you back up and realize what they fought for, what they died for, why they made that sacrifice, how it benefits you, the freedom that you have as a result, their death takes on a little bit different perspective, doesn't it? What comes up in our hearts and our lives then is remembrance and gratitude and a reminder of the costliness of freedom and more of a devotion then to preserve it. So we remember their sacrifice and we give thanks for it. Well, today we have an infinitely bigger reason for giving thanks for death. Because we are celebrating communion and we, we, we are celebrating Christ and, his, and the gospel, which is Him dying for our sins. And when you think of Christ dying, think of more than just physical death. Yes, the physical suffering was horrible. That was horrible. But that was nothing compared to the spiritual sacrifice and suffering that he went went through. Enduring the wrath due his people. And drinking that cup dry on the cross. So when you say Christ died for my sins... Think through it. Yes, don't forget the physical suffering, the, the, the rejection, the beating, the crucifixion, and all the pain that would bring. But it's much deeper than that, the spiritual suffering. We have an infinitely bigger reason to give thanks for redemption, for salvation that is, comes to us and only comes to us through the death of Jesus on the cross. So today I thought with it being a communion Sunday that once again we would focus on communion, focus on Christ, focus on the gospel. And I have some, some things planned running up to Easter. I'll talk about that later. But today, it's a remembrance, it's a celebration. Communion is a remembrance of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. We know it's more than that. It's one of the two sacraments of ordinances that he gave. It's much simpler in the new covenant. It it points us to his death. We have communion with him in the midst of it. We are ministered to and grown uh, in the midst of it. But it is a remembrance. It is a celebration of Jesus who died for our sins. So what stuck in my head this time was verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. He's coming again because He was raised and is reigning and He's coming again. But it says that we proclaim the Lord's death. Jesus death so I thought I would focus 
on his death and in, in, in this sermon it's a little different than normal and more of a maybe a devotional running up to communion but hopefully you'll be benefited and and blessed by thinking about Christ's death this morning and i wanted to ask a question uh, kids everybody you can this is you can benefit from this so kids everybody in the room why did jesus have to die that's the question i'm asking Why did he have to die? Why did the sinless Son of God, why did the Messiah, which was a big stumbling block for the Jews, why did the Messiah have to come as a suffering servant? Why did he have to die? And we'll see this because it was planned, it was prophesied, and it was necessary. Those are not the three points, but they're summed up in that. But the main point is Jesus had to die on the cross to fulfill God's eternal plan to save his people from their sins. Jesus had to die on the cross to fulfill God's eternal plan to save his people from their sins. So first, he had to die on the cross. Point one, Jesus had to die on the cross because it was planned in eternity past. It was planned in eternity past. We'll spend much time on this and I'll point you back somewhat to last week's sermon if you want more on election and things like that. But look what Acts 4, 27 to 28 says. And this is just one verse. There are many in the Bible. For truly in this city, Jerusalem, and the apostles are praying in response to persecution and they will be empowered to continue to be bold with the gospel. And they're, they're praying against the leaders who rejected Christ and and that but you see in verse 27 for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant jesus in fulfillment of psalm 2 i'll let you go read it in context they were gathered together against your holy servant jesus whom you anointed both herod and pontius pilate along with the gentiles and the peoples of israel now watch this to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They were gathered together against the Messiah, against the Son of God, against Jesus, and in their rebellion, they fulfilled to a T exactly what God's hand and His plan, it says, has predestined, foreordained to take place. When was that predestining done? We know from last week in Rome, uh, Ephesians 1-4 and other, other passages that it happened before the foundation of the world, before creation, in eternity past, the councils of eternity, the God-planned redemption. The Father chose a people and gave that people to the Son. The Son agreed to come and be the mediator of that covenant by living for His people, dying for His people, and being raised from the grave. And the Spirit would apply that redemption through the proclamation of the Gospel to His people, calling them to faith in Jesus. So for the Father, the point of the story is Jesus. For the Spirit, the point of the story is Jesus. And if you're ever in an environment where the point of the story is not Jesus, go somewhere else. Because it's not in the Spirit. But God planned. He predestined everything that took place in the leadership's rejection of the Messiah without violating their will. 
They made real choices. Choices for which they would be responsible. Judas made real choices for which he, it would have been better if he'd never been born. Jesus said. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, fulfilling God's plan to the T. The plan that was planned in eternity past. Nothing slipped up on God. Nothing took God by the surprise. God never says, oh, I didn't see that coming. Wish I had known that. Heard a preacher one time say, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He never learns anything. He knows everything. And he works out, Isaiah says, everything to fulfill all of his plans. And his plan from eternity past was to save his people in his son. And he ordained the ends as well as the means up to that end. Now I know reconciling sovereignty and responsibility in your mind is going to be an impossible thing to fully comprehend. Just like the Trinity is and other things are. But if the word of God teaches it, we embrace it. And we recognize that there's a greater intellect than ours. That can work all of these things out. But I want you to see from the passage of Scripture that what happened on the, the, on, in Jesus' life and especially focusing in on that cross was what had been predestined to take place. And it happened just the way it was planned in eternity past. So, first point, he had to die on the cross because it was planned in eternity past. And we believe that because that plan is revealed in Scripture. So we embrace it. And, you know, I'll point you back to last week's sermon about God. The, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. He'd been given authority to give eternal life to everyone that had been given to him by the Father. There's no portion or part of Jesus' accomplishment of redemption that is a failure. There's nothing he purposed to do that he didn't come and accomplish because it was all done, if you want to put it this way, Graham Goldsworthy, according to plan. It was all according to plan. Point two, Jesus had to die on the cross because it was predicted or prophesied in the Old Testament. And listen, I want you to watch this. Young people, watch this. God predicted not just general vagaries like some circus, whatever, Exact details. He gave us exact details as what was going to happen to Jesus. The, the life, death, burial, resurrection of the Messiah was revealed in the Old Testament. And when you read the New Testament, you see these constant references back to the Old Testament. Showing how Christ is the fulfillment. But I want you to watch these. I'm only going to give you a couple. There are, there are tons more. But two portions of Scripture that Christ fulfilled that were prophesied in the Old Testament in detail. And the odds of anybody ever doing that are so high they're impossible. Just to fulfill ten prophecies, much less all of them. And these are just two. But the first portion of Scripture I want to point you to was written over a thousand years before Christ came. It was written before crucifixion was a thing. Now watch this in Psalm 22. Jesus had to die on the cross because it was predicted in the Old Testament. Psalm 22, 14 to 18, just picking out a portion. Now watch this. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Messianic Psalm, my heart, my heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Watch, 
For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Written over a thousand years before it happened. In exact detail. That never happened to David. They pierced my hands and my feet. Listen, the history of this is indisputable. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Just read the Gospels. You see that happen. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Exactly what happened at the foot of the cross. They're casting lots for his clothing. No, don't tear it. We'll cast, we'll see who gets it. Hands and feet pierced. Clothing, casting lots. They're deciding who'll get his clothes. Predicted over a thousand years before it happened. And this is just one of many passages we could go to in the Old Testament. Let's go to another one. Isaiah 53. This reads like a, uh, almost like a report of what had happened on the cross. And yet it was written over 700 years before Christ died on the cross. Now listen to Isaiah 53 as I read it. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now watch this. The coming Messiah, the one from our perspective who has come. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But why was he smitten? Look, look. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed of our sin sickness. And then flowing out of that, the misery. All of we, this includes you, all of we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off, he was killed. He was cut off from the land of the living. Why? Stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave. Watch the, the detail. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. The, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He was buried in. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, he was sinless. 
Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Resurrection. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. My, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Justification in him. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out, he poured out, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgression. So you see the the birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, reign of Jesus all in Isaiah 53, predicted in detail, even down to being buried in a rich man's grave, written some 700 years before it ever happened. Jesus had to die on the cross because it had been prophes- it had been planned in eternity past. Jesus had to die on the cross because it had been prophesied in the Old Testament that He would die to pay the penalty for His people's sin. And then thirdly, Jesus had to die on the cross because His people were lost in sin. If He's going to save us, He's going to have to die for us. Because the payment for our sin is death. Not just physical, but spiritual death. Separation from God. Hell, wrath for eternity. You can never drink that cup dry because you be a mere mortal. You can never satisfy an infinite debt because what makes the debt infinite is the one against whom we have sinned and it is God Almighty. The King of Glory. Just a little bit of bad news first. And there are again many, 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 many other verses I could go to. But the first part of Romans 6.23 is the wages of sin is death. The payoff for sin. What is sin? Casting aside God's commandments. Violating His commandments. Either by not keeping them fully or by transgressing them and stepping over them. I know better. That's old. I don't have to do that. We either, by omission or commission, break His law. We are born with a corrupt nature that chooses sin over God. We are born in guilt before God. What the Bible calls original sin. Original sin, by the way, is not the first sin. It's the corruption of nature and guilt we inherit from Adam since the garden. And the payoff is death, both physical and spiritual. Separation from God. Romans uh, 3.23 says all have sinned. In case you wonder if that's you too. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah said all of our righteous attempts are filthy rags. This is Jesus speaking in John 3.18. Whoever believes in Him, the light, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. Whoever believes in Him, and it's more than just mental assent. Whoever trusts in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? We were born in a state of condemnation. We were born needing a Savior. From, we come from the womb telling lies, the Scripture says. In sin did my mother conceive me. We're born needing a Savior. And Jesus says that, that He is the way out of that condemnation. 
And if you're not believing, you're dwelling in the condemnation you were born in. He is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You may or may not accept it. But it is truth nevertheless. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the perfection, the, the love that God deserves through joyfully and fully keeping his commandments. None of us has kept even the first commandment in thought, word, and deed perfectly. And one sin is enough to condemn us. But none of us have committed just one sin. If you think you are good enough to be accepted by God because you compare yourself to other people, you will be in hell. I don't know how more plain I can be. Because you need a Savior and Christ has come to... Why would Christ have to die if we can just be good and do good and be saved? But there's good news. The salvation that we can accomplish, the salvation that we were born needing, God has provided. And if we're humble enough to receive it, it is a free gift. Because Christ has lived for it. Christ has died for it. Christ has been raised for it. He is reigning to give it. And if He's at work in you, you will receive it. Christ is the Savior. Matthew 1.21. Give you a little bit of good news. Give you a little relief. When Joseph was struggling over whether or not to take Mary as his wife because she's found with child, and you can imagine the confusion, an angel comes to him and assures him and confirms him and tells him to take her because that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. And speaking of that child that will be born, he says this, an angel speaking. You want to hear an angel speak? She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Hebrew, Yeshua. Joshua. The Lord is salvation. You shall call his name Jesus. Now watch the full and sure accomplishment of his mission. For he might save his people from their sins. You better watch me. Better keep me on track. He will save His people from their sins. He will save most of His people from their sins. He will save half of His people from their sins. He will save 99%. No! It's a, it's a universal statement. You can, you can put all in. He will save all His people from all their sins. That's why he's called Jesus. The Greek for Yeshua, Hebrew. The one who embodies the Lord is salvation. Let me go back to Romans 6.23. I'll give you the rest of the verse. I only gave you the first part the first time. For the wages of sin is death. But, I love the buts in Scripture. But, the gift that you have to earn is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm trying to keep you with me here. The free gift. What does free mean? Thank you. No cost. 
Why? Because if somebody gets, kids, if somebody, you have a birthday and somebody comes and they give you a birthday present, are you supposed to pay for it? No, why? Because they paid for it. And therefore they give it to you as a free gift. Salvation is that way. You don't have to pay for it. And you don't have to pay it back. Because on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He kept the law perfectly for those who will trust in Him by God's grace. And He died to pay the penalty for all their sins so that the Spirit bringing the Gospel into our lives and waking us up to the fact that we're sinful and need a Savior, but also to the fact that Jesus is that Savior and mercy and grace is available in Him that we, by God's grace and empowerment, turn and trust. We repent and receive. We turn and trust in Jesus as one hundred percent of our salvation the wages of sin is death but the free gift you know what the greek says the free gift of god is a little bit of life when do you get eternal life when does it start when you trust in jesus by God's grace. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have eternal life now. Death has been defanged. It's a ride into glory with angels accompanying. You don't have to fear it. Now, if you're not in Jesus, you reject Jesus. You won't have Jesus to die for your sins. It's to be feared. You should be afraid to die. You should cling to life with everything in you. Because this is as good as it will ever get for those who reject Christ. But for those who receive the free gift. I mean what better news could there be? Somebody has paid the penalty for all of your sins. Somebody has perfectly fulfilled God's law. So that by His grace you receive the free gift. And you are forgiven for everything. Every sin. And you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are a child of God. And he, can, he begins to conform you into what you already are. Begins to conform you into the image of Christ. It's all a work of grace. It's a free gift in Christ Jesus. Have you received it? Will you receive it? Will you receive Him? There's not another Savior. Some of you don't like this. There's not another Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we say, that's not fair. I don't know. Why don't I, why don't I just accept everything? There's no other person who's lived in fulfillment of God's law. There's no other person that's died to pay the sins of his people. There's no other person who can give you salvation as a free gift. We get all postmodern in our rejection of the gospel. We don't do that when we're sick and somebody comes to us with the only cure. You know what we do? We take that sucker. Well, there is a cure for your sin sickness and it is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. See, this is all proved too by his resurrection and resurrection is the most provable thing in history if you don't use a double standard. Literary evidence for it is overwhelming. I mean, there have been men who have come to faith trying to disprove it by God's grace, exposing them to the gospel. We know the power is the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That's an amazing statement. You know who's writing this? This is Paul. You know who he, Hebrew name Saul of Tarsus. The man who was trying to stamp out the church. Until Jesus knocked him off his high horse on the way to Damascus. And saved his soul. And now he's a preacher of the gospel. Now he's in glory. Has been for some time. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What, Paul? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament scriptures. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. He really died. He went into the tomb, the rich man's tomb. He was under the power of death for a time. But then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Death defeated. Hallelujah chorus. Victory over sin. The Savior, the Son of God, the Lord who offers salvation as a free gift. If you will trust in Him by His grace. We believe with the heart. We confess with the mouth. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe He died for your sins? Do you believe He was raised from the grave? Do you believe He is reigning and coming again someday? And do you believe His salvation is a free gift? Have you received Him? Are you trusting in Him? And no matter how you feel, this is true of you. Salvation is, praise God, not based on our feelings or on our intelligence or on anything like that. This, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and it's based on Jesus. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He made Him who knew no sin, sinless, Son of God, never sinned, to be sin. He took our sin to die for it. For our sake he made him who, who knew to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see the great exchange there? You see the double imputation? By the way, if you won't have imputation, you won't have a gospel. But you see our sins imputed to him, him dying and paying the penalty in full, his, his forgiveness and right, his righteousness imputed to us. So we're not just, our, our record is not just wiped clean. When we come to faith in Jesus. It, it, all the sin is wiped out. But his record is put on our record. Perfect righteousness. We sang it. I come with your righteousness on. My humble offering to bring. I'm telling you the gospel. The good news is better than you think. Yeah but I'm not sure I'm good enough. Stop it. Let me solve that. You're not. None of, and look around. None of us are. None of us got it because we were good enough. God has a humongous sense of humor. I mean, if you were following me around in my teens and 20s, you would think, no way that dude's going to be a preacher. But Christ came to live for me. And you, you're trusting in Him. He came to die for me to pay the penalty for my sin. And He was raised for my justification and yours if you're trusting in Him. Proving it all true. And He's reigning for us. Not for us to be comfortable. But for us to get the gospel out. 
to the ends of the earth and he's coming again someday. And when he appears, if you're trusting in him, you will be like him. Glorified. Work finished. Satisfaction. No sin. Joy like you've never known. Forever. Only sinners who love sin would think the new heavens and new earth will be boring. Set free. Set free from our sin to love and serve Him. Let me ask you, how do you remember Jesus? Because it, part of what Jesus said in the Lord's Supper was, do this in remembrance of me. Do you remember Jesus as a good man who died a horrible death? He was a good teacher. Even a prophet. But he died a horrible death. What a waste. Do you remember Jesus as one who came to make you good enough to earn your salvation? And not the gospel. Or secondly, do you remember Jesus as the God-man? Foreordained from before the foundation of the world. Prophesied in the Old Testament Scriptures. Came, we have it recorded in the New Testament, to live and to die and to be buried and to be raised for His people. And who offers salvation to us through faith as a free gift. You don't have to understand it all. I'm asking you, do you trust it? Do you believe He died for our sins? Do you believe He was raised from the grave? Do you believe He offers to you forgiveness of your sins and righteousness if you will trust Him? And are you trusting Him? See, not just mental assent, right? What, what is true faith? True faith is three things. It's knowledge of the Gospel. What's the Gospel? Christ. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised from the grave. It's believing those facts are true, right? But nobody's saved yet. The devil believes all of that. The demons believe and tremble, the word says. The third necessary element of true saving faith is trust in Jesus. It's a looking outside of yourself to Him for salvation. I'm not asking you if you have a perfect faith. You'll have that when you're glorified. Faith becomes sight. But are you trusting in Jesus? If your trust is in Jesus, you are forgiven and cleansed. You are clothed in His righteousness. He is your Lord and Savior. And He will use you as weak and flawed as you are. Because the good news is that He came to save sinners. Paul said among whom He was chief. Some of us want to argue. Are you trusting and resting in Christ? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? To fulfill God's plan revealed in God's scriptures to save His people who were lost in sin and misery and loved it. I know I did. We remember Him and we really remember Him by not just intellectually remembering Him but by trusting Him. And feeding on Him. Every day through faith. And especially when we gather to partake of His meal. His supper. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But like Memorial Day. You can, order, you can ignore the fact that so many died. 
You can look back at all those deaths and horror. You can look back with, or you can look back with gratitude and love. But especially in Jesus, the gospel makes sense of his death. And the gospel bears fruits through his death, which is in fulfillment of his name that he would come and save his people. So as we focus on his death, if we're God's children, we look back with gratitude, with love for him and with faith in the one who died to save us from our sins. What must I do to be saved? Believe on, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. For God so loved the world, or really in this way God loved the world, He sent His Son, that whosoever believes in, trusts in Him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Eternal life is a free gift to you. If you'll trust in Jesus. And God is so serious about it. Acts 17, 30 and 31. He has sent and sacrificed His Son. And He now commands you to believe in Jesus. Christ saves sinners through faith. Trust Him and be saved today. Today can be your first day in Christ. But if you're in Christ, rejoice. Focus in on and believe. Fresh and anew. In your Savior. I don't do this hardly ever. But I found this. So I thought I would end by reading this to you. This is a sermon. Sermon. Okay here we go. Another 45 minutes. This is, this is a poem. That focuses on Jesus and his, his death. It's really from Revela- focusing in on Revelation 5. Where it says that a lamb who appeared as though he had been slain. But it's called diversely excellent. And I'm just going to read this to you. And then I'm going to pray. True Son of God, true Son of Man, both terrible and fair. What various attributes you span, perfections, ah, how rare. How vast are in your person blent, and all diversely excellent. You only are the sovereign king, and you the servant mild, artificer or creator of everything, and made a human child. You held the world up in your hand even while you walked its sinful land. You judged the world in holy fire, avenged the merest vice, and you became what you require. The bloody sacrifice. A wonder that you hate all sin, yet spread your arms to take it in. And ah, the wonder does appear most glorious on the cross. I see you, Savior, hanging there and in your deepest loss, the greatest victory and gain that ever flowed from God to man. The mighty wrath of God there meets redemptive love His own. There God the desperate sinner greets who there forsook His Son. Your godlike wrath, your mercy free, clasp hands, Redeemer, on that tree. My God, you are surpassing great. Trembling, I bow in fear. My Savior, you are wondrous sweet. And gently, draw me near. I find no joy but in your name. Jesus, the Lion. And the Lamb. Let's pray.